Uh, we're going to kick off a series today called Good Grief, uh, as you can see on the screen. And this series is all about grief and how to deal with grief and what it looks like and um, how do we walk through it in a way that leads to healing. And I want to just say right off the front, uh, you know, the team did such a good job setting it up with such a beautiful song. I actually like that song. Um, big country fan, especially Diamond Rio. Uh, but um, basically, to this series for the whole month of February is going to be a very heavy series, and I need you to know that before we jump in today. And when I say heavy, I don't necessarily mean like super deep, where like we're going to go through these tough passages in the Bible, and we're going to expand on these huge truths that maybe we don't understand, but deep in the sense of it's emotional. And this series, as we talk through grief, is going to probably bring up some emotions that maybe you haven't dealt with in a long time. And make you remember things that maybe you've tried to not remember. And I want you to know it's okay. It's okay to have those emotions. It's okay to have those memories. And I know uh, that God's going to come for you today. Uh, this series for me, or not this series, but today's message is actually I put on my Facebook this week uh, in eight years of pastoring, the hardest message I'm, I'm going to have to give. And it's not because the content's hard. The content part after so many years comes like second nature. But um, because I'll be sharing some things today from my own experience with grief uh, and some stories about how I've grieved and, and how God has tried to show me some things in my grief. And uh, if you know me, you know that just cards on the table, like that's not comfortable for me. Um, I'm not someone who likes to share intimate details with people, especially from a stage in front of a camera that will have m this message online uh, later. So it's very uncomfortable. All I ask is that if I stop for 20 seconds to kind of gather myself emotionally, um, you know, I'm not trying to be dramatic. I'm just trying to gather my emotions as I recount some things that are really tough for me. So I pray for your patience in that. But this is going to be a series that's really going to help you find healing. And that's what I'm excited about today. Um, so this is uh, a, a series all about grief, like I said before. And I really have a very simple goal today. I, I'm just going to give us five lies that you and I believe about grief and how it's harmful for us. Uh, it's going to be a very 30,000 foot view look at the topic of grief. And then Scott's going to kind of walk through the weeds and the rest of the month through uh, logistics of how to grieve well. Um, so I'm hopeful that you'll come back and continue to learn together with us. One of the things I've learned in my research is that we as Americans just, we're, we're not good at grief. We may think we are, but we're really not. Like there's one article I came across this week. Uh, someone wrote the title, America, the country that could not mourn. And, and they said that America has a tough time mourning real tragedies, either personally or on a national level, because we're so busy. We, we literally will go through a tragedy and then hop right into something that distract us from that grief. And, and in fact, I think one of the reasons is just because again, we've tried to push that grief down and not deal with it, to try to hide it, to try to not deal with the real tragedy. And, and in a lot of ways, I think as Americans, we have pushed our grief so far down in our heart that we try to cover up our grief with things like Netflix series, social media posts, addictions or relationships that we just never really wanna come face to face with the things that really have hurt us and left marks on us. So I want you to know today, just straight up, if you, you start feeling emotional or if there's something I say today that maybe is impactful to you, I just want you to know uh, this, that God sees your pain and God sees your grief 
and God is here to comfort you this morning. So that's my prayer for you. Let's jump right in though, because I don't wanna spend too much time actually on the five lies because I I do wanna share something special at the end together. But lie number one is that Christians shouldn't grieve. There's a a segment of evangelical populations that kind of have this attitude that uh, Christians should be exempt from grief. Uh, Not because necessarily we don't hurt, but uh, because someone will say something like, well, we don't live for this life alone. Christians look to a new life, a new heaven, a new time where grief is no more. And let's just pause, I, I believe that too. Wholeheartedly, I believe that's true. But, but sometimes if we're not careful, we let that kind of be a reason to kind of convince ourselves that maybe we shouldn't be feeling sorrowful. In fact, I've been at many funerals before that something along the lines of this, you know, Papa Joe, is, was a Christian and he was a Christian man and we love Papa Joe, but Papa Joe is gone. But we need everyone to know here today that this, today is not a, a day of grief, but a day of celebration because we know where Papa Joe is now and he's in heaven with Jesus and he's hurting no more. And I do believe again that that's true. I believe if you're a Christian, when you pass from this life, you enter into a life where there's no more pain or sorrow. But in some ways saying that this isn't a day of grief just isn't true because it's still a sad moment, we lost somebody close to us. And biblically speaking, the idea that we shouldn't grieve because we have a future hope just isn't true. Like when we look at this verse from 1 Thessalonians 4.13, Paul says this, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters concerning those that are asleep or dead, so that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. Notice Paul isn't saying so that you won't grieve, He's saying, so you don't grieve like those people who don't have a future to look forward to. There's almost this understanding that you should grieve when people pass. It's emotional, it hurts. In some way, the Christian life is a life that longs for the next one, that we're in this broken world and we want to not have to feel pain anymore. But Paul's point is not that you shouldn't grieve, but you shouldn't grieve as if you don't have a hope. So there is this understanding that grief is a part of the Christian's journey. But What's so interesting though, I think is so beautiful is not only are we called to understand and experience grief as Christians, but we serve a God who grieves. All throughout scriptures, we see God's heart breaking and grieving in a variety of circumstances. And actually one of the most famous ones is in the gospel of John chapter 11, Jesus's cousin Lazarus has died and he's gotten word that his cousin has died. And so he makes his way to the town and he is surrounded by family. And in the shortest verse in the Bible, as far as the English is concerned, the shortest verse in the Bible is found in John chapter 11, verse 35. And the verse simply reads, Jesus wept. Jesus cried. Jesus wept for the death of his cousin because it was emotional. But what's so ironic to me is that Jesus also verses later raised Lazarus from the dead. Jesus went literally verses later and said, I'm going to the tomb, Lazarus, come out of the tomb. And Lazarus came out of the tomb and was raised to life. This is a joyful moment. There is hope. And Jesus knew there was hope, but yet still in that moment, he chose to weep, even though he knew moments later he would fix that grief. So even though Jesus knew there was a hope in the future, he still grieved in the moment. And I think what's so important for us as Christians is to understand that one thing that connects everyone in this room, everyone watching online, regardless of who you are, whether you're black or white or male or female, poor, rich, young, old, Democrat, Republican, whatever, Christian, non-Christian, one thing we all share is we experience grief. We experience pain. 
It's something that makes you and I distinctly human. And we can't allow well-meaning or not so well-meaning people to try to convince us because we have a future hope that we're not allowed to grieve right here in this moment. So that's the first lie. But the second lie is that grief has a start and grief has a stopping point. Here in the West, we'd like to believe that there's kind of a timestamp that we should be putting on our grief. That in some ways, we don't say it out loud, but in some ways we somewhat believe, yeah, you should be over that by now. It's been a while. Haven't you moved beyond that? And you think about even how your work works. If you've ever lost someone in the middle of you working, you know how it works. You have to take two or three days off from work because you need to go to the visitation, you need to go to the funeral, you may need an extra day to kind of help the family transition or your family. And then you go back to work on like a Thursday after three days of uh, funeral stuff. You sit at your desk, you have piles of work you haven't touched the last three days that are waiting on you. And immediately we compartmentalize our pain so much so that we change our mind to not focusing on the pain, but focusing on the task in front of us. How can I continue to grieve? I've got work to do. I haven't even thought about dinner for the kids tonight. I I don't know who's going to pick up the kids. How are we getting to t-ball practice? All of a sudden, now we sit back down at our desk three days later, and we have to force ourselves to move beyond the pain because there's things to do. One of the most uh, well-known things that you guys know of, I'm sure, when it comes to grief is what is developed by Elizabeth Ross, uh, which we know as the five stages of grief. But in research, I saw that they've added two stages, so now it's the seven stages of grief. And I really don't know how that works in science and psychology work. Like, how do we go from five to seven? Did something like magically happen in the world where we have two more steps? But that's not the point. The point is, you may know these seven steps, or you may not, but really quickly, I'm just gonna go through them. Number one is shock. Number two is denial. Number three is anger. Number four is bargaining. Number five is depression. Number six is acceptance. And number seven is processing. And I think this is a good tool. I'm not trying to bash the seven stages of grief because in some ways I think it's helpful for us to understand the stages that come with grief. But I do want us to know that I think we've taken something like that and we flipped it on its head and made it something that's not supposed to be. So much so that we've broken down our grief into step-by-step processes. We'll think something like this. Well, pastor, I'm on stage five. I'm, I'm depressed. But if I can just move to stage six of acceptance and stage seven of processing, then I'll be over this. Then I'll be done with it. Then I won't have to grieve this anymore. But from someone who's grieved and grieved a lot of different things in my life, can I just tell you, you can go through seven stages, but grief can come back tomorrow and you might have to start the stages all over. Grief doesn't stop when you finish a process. And I think what we have to understand as Americans, especially when we get so caught up in, in busyness in life, is that you'll never truly fully heal from your grief if you keep putting a timestamp on it and you accept the lie that I should be over this by now. You sh- everyone grieves at their own pace. And I want you to know from my heart to you today, it's okay that you're still not over it by now. Things take time. Let me just read you just a couple of examples. I'm gonna try to put this on a practical level and then move on. Just a couple ways how we can kind of try to hold on and think that we're wrong for it. Some of you have lost loved ones. You've lost a mom, a dad, brother, sister, wife, husband, child, coworker, friend. And it's been six years since that funeral was done. And I need you to hear it's okay that you're still grieving it. It's okay. Some of you made mistakes. You ruined relationships. You hurt people. 
and you have deep regrets about the decisions you made 17 years ago, I want you to know it's okay that you're still working through that regret. Some of you have had children who left the home or left to go to college and you're, you've been empty nesters for the last 10 years and you're still struggling to find who you are outside of being a parent. You're, you're struggling to find out how you adapt to a life without your child around all the time, without taking care of them. And you're having an identity crisis and you've been having it for the last 10 years since they left the home. I need you to hear today, it's, it's okay that you're still working through that identity crisis. It, move, yes, I don't want you to hear, just stay in your sorrow. Of course I want you to move and find healing, but know that you might find healing at a different pace than the person next to you. Some of you had family members that you had blow-ups with years ago at a family function. And I need you to know that it's okay that every holiday that comes by, every birthday that goes by, every anniversary that goes by, it's okay that you still cry because they didn't call to check on you. It's okay to still be grieving. Grieving is unique to all of us. We don't all grieve at the same pace and we need to understand that that's okay. Grief takes time. You can't rush grieving. Number three is that we should only grieve big things. Now, whether we know it or not, we would never say this out loud because we're Southerners and we have more hospitality than that. But uh, we, we believe that there are some things worth grieving over. And there are some things that if we were honest, you should probably be over that by now. Like that's really not that big of a deal. We kind of see certain things as worth grieving and certain things worth kind of like, uh, dude, like really, you're still on that? Like, come on, let's move beyond that. But we would never say that out loud, but what I think is funny when we read the scripture, especially from beginning to end, we see a God who grieves both the big and the small things. And some things that we would even say, God, that's a little insignificant for you to be mourning over. I gave you the example from John 11, just a couple minutes ago. Jesus grieved the death of his cousin. And we would look at a story like that and we say, yeah, wouldn't you? Like he lost someone close to him. Of course he's grieving that. But then Jesus has another interaction with the religious leaders of his day in Luke chapter 13. And he, he, he conveys how God grieves for these people. And I think it's interesting because if we understand the context, we understand maybe why this confuses us. He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed, if you have a Bible out, you can circle, underline that word, longed to gather you children together as a mother hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. You were not willing. That word longed or longing in the Greek is the Greek word thelo. And, and I'm not here to do a Greek expert on, on you, but I want you to know that that same word that's used there for longing in Luke 13 is also used in Jeremiah 31:15. And in Jeremiah 31:15, it's actually more translated as mourning or weeping. So in some ways we can understand this passage as reading, I have wept, I have longed, I have mourned over you children to come back to me, but you were not willing. God's heart grieves for those people that aren't with him. And that's a beautiful thing, but I think if we understand the Israelites, we understand maybe why we don't understand it as much. Israelites, generation after generation, century after century, continuously turned their back on God. In fact, God gave them more than enough chances, more than enough. And every time he gave them grace, they took advantage of it. And they turned their back on him. 
And, and you see even there, right? It says, you who killed the prophets that I sent to you to help you, you killed the help that I sent to you. I wanted you to come to me. And we look at people like the Israelites or the religious leaders and we think these are stiff-necked people, they're stubborn people, they're hard-hearted. In some ways they're like legalistic and they don't trust God because they always leave them. We wanna say, God, they've made it clear. They don't want nothing to do with you. Move on. They've made it clear generation after generation. They don't want you. Why are you grieving them? Move past that. Focus on the people who actually wanna be with you, the people who wanna be here. But we notice time after time in scripture, God grieves the big and God grieves the small. And we have to understand that everything big and small, whether we think it's insignificant or not, is actually worth grieving. I, I, I wanna share one of my stories with you today, um, just about a, a situation in my life that really correlates to the, what I'm talking about. Um, <clears throat> every one of us has experiences in our life that have been forever burned into our memory, whether it's good or whether it's bad. And, and for me, one of those days was September 1st, 2015. On September 1st, 2015, I was about a week and a half to two weeks into my senior year at Liberty University where I was finishing up my undergraduate there. Um, I had started and I was getting in the routine of things and my friend and I who lived off campus our senior year decided we wanted to spend the day and go play disc golf. If you don't know what disc golf is, it's probably because you're not cool enough to play it like I did, but that's okay. Moral of the story is disc golf is like golf. It's just with a disc and a basket instead of a club and a hole. Same principles. It's not that hard. Long story short, we wanted to go play disc golf. Uh, so we went to a course in Bedford, Virginia, in the foothills of the Blue Ridge Mountains. And I'm a big mountains lover. And this course was beautiful. It's gorgeous. You see the mountains as you play. And it was a beautiful day. It was still warm because it was September 1st. And we went, we played hold one, we got through hold one and we came to hold two. Hold two was a par five. If you know anything about golf, that means it takes multiple throws just to get down to the basket. So I, I teed off and I threw my first disc and it landed just a hair to the right in the rough. So I was walking to go to my second shot and it, it, disc golf is like golf. It, every club has a different distance. Every disc has a different distance. You don't throw the same one for your first shot as you do your fourth. So I, I had to pick out a different disc. So I had my bag with all my disc in it and I keep my personal belongings in there too. My phone, my keys, my wallet. And, and I put my bag down because I was going to get my second shot out. And I noticed that on my phone, I had three missed calls from my aunt. I don't know your relationships with your aunts, but mine at that point was kind of non-existent. It was, I see you maybe once at the holidays and that's when we talk and that's about it. So it was kind of off-putting to me that she had called me three times, but like most people, I said, uh, I'll get to that. I'll call her back when I finish the 18 holes and we'll talk about whatever she has to talk about. Well, literally I put my phone down, put my phone back in my bag and I was going to reach for the second disc and she was calling me again, so I said, I've got to answer this because I, I want to be able to play without her bugging me. So I answered the call. I said, hey, Aunt Lori, how are you? And she said, hey, Preston. She said, uh, I need to call you. I need to tell you something. I said, okay, what's going on? And she said, are you, are you alone? I said, well, I'm out playing disc golf with my friends. And she said, can you get to a spot where you'll be by yourself? I said, well, I am. She said, well, you can, can you sit down? I said, I mean, I can. I could sit in the grass. So I sat down. And she said, I really, I have to break some terrible news to you. I said, okay. She said, I just got off the phone and um, I don't know how to tell you this. She said, but I just want you to know um, that we got word today that your dad passed away at work today. And, and at the time I was a 21 year old and 
you know, I got the news that my father at 44 had passed away randomly. It wasn't something we were expecting. And she said, Preston, I, I don't know what to say. She said, all I need you to know is that I need your prayers because I'm gonna have to go pick up your two younger brothers from school and sit them down and explain that their father is dead. And I don't know how I'm gonna do it. And I said, Aunt Lori, okay, I'll be praying for you. I said, keep me posted and I hung up the phone. And you can't explain shock to people who have never really experienced true shock. I hung up the phone and I put the phone back in my bag. And as soon as I put my phone back in my bag, I grabbed my disc and I played the rest of the hole. I, I didn't know what to do. And I played another hole and I played another hole and I played another one and I played another one. Eventually about at hole seven, my friend stopped me and said, what's going on? He said, you look like something's bothering you. You look like bad, like you look sick, like, what's going on? I say, hey man, like my aunt called me and she told me that my dad passed away. And my friend was like, then why are we here? He's like, dude, what are we doing? Like, why are we playing disc golf? Your dad just passed away. Like you need to go back to the apartment and pack. You need to go home. And I said, I really don't know why I'm here. I just, I don't know what to do. So I packed my bags, I went home and a month and a half later we had the funeral, which was of course very emotional. And you know, it was tough, my whole senior year was a constant state of depression, I would say, for about literally almost a whole year of just dealing with shock and depression. Um, but I think what was so hard for me, and maybe this is your story today and I hope it encourages you, is not that I just lost my dad when he was 44 and I was 21, but that I lost my dad because we had had a really bad relationship most of my life, but the last three years had actually been the best part of our relationship. That the last three years had actually been where we made the most progress where he worked on his stuff and I worked on mine, and we actually got to have the relationship that I really wish I would have had my whole life with him. And I had those three years in college with him that were very, very good. And I think that was what was so hard for me to accept was the fact that my dad's relationship with me had been very rocky, but I finally got over some hurdles with him and we were making progress and then he was taken from me. And I think some of you who have lost loved ones know how that feels, maybe you don't. Uh, but what I, what I wanna say is you hear a story like that and you say, you should grieve that. You lost your father at a very young age. But I also have some things about losing him that I still can't get over that seem insignificant to some people. My dad had said we had got dinner together two weeks prior to me going to college. So literally two weeks before he passed, he said, I wanna take you out, your friend out and your brother out. I just turned 21 like a week before. He said, I wanna have a beer with my son. And I said, awesome, you know, great. You can judge me for having a beer, it's okay. I won't hold it against you. But he said, I wanna have a beer with my son. And I said, great, we went and had a beer and I'll never forget we left that restaurant in Raleigh because I was heading to school literally three days later. He said, I just want you to know that I'm proud of you, I'm proud of you. You are the first person in our family to go to college and you're gonna graduate this May. And he said, I can't wait to come watch you walk and graduate this May. And I said, I can't wait for it either. And that day didn't come from him. It came from me, but that was a hard pill to swallow too. One of the things that was hard for me, I think is still hard for me right now is that me and my dad didn't have a great relationship, but one thing that we did enjoy to do when together my whole life was fishing. We fished all the time. Every time I would go to his house every other weekend, we would find some pond in the backwoods of Johnston County, North Carolina and go fishing together. And we would cast a line out, sit on the, 
sit on the shore together and just enjoy fishing with one another. But do you know this September will make eight years since my dad has passed and it's still eight years later, I can't find the strength in me to pick up a fishing pole and go fishing. Not because fishing is some super emotional thing, but because of what it's tied to, because of who it's tied to. And it's hard for me to pick it up and wonder if I'll ever fish again. When I have a son, will I ever be able to emotionally get the strength to take him fishing? And fishing seems like an insignificant part of the story, but in part of my story, in part of my grief, it's just as important as losing my dad. I feel like I lost something I enjoyed doing with him as well. And I want you to know that God never gives us a set of, here's what you grieve and here's what you don't grieve in the Bible. God just says, grieve and grieve well. It's okay. And I want you to know there are some things in your life that others may deem as insignificant of your grief, but I wanna tell you it's not up to them to determine what you grieve. There's no standard of rules. Some of you have been left out of friends gatherings and you feel like you were an outcast in your friend group because they didn't invite you and it hurt you and it made you feel insecure. It's okay that you grieve that. Some of you have had trouble finding a real relationship for the past seven years and you feel like someone has placed a red X on your forehead to tell other people to not go anywhere near you and you've struggled to find a real relationship. It's okay that that hurts your heart. Some of you have had diagnoses come to you in the last three years that you weren't expecting and really rocked your world and you struggle just to get up every day and be optimistic that you'll have another day. I want you to know that it's okay that you grieve that. I want you to know this, golden rule of thumb to take with you today. If it hurts, it's worth grieving. It doesn't matter what it is. If it hurts you, you have the permission to grieve it. And you shouldn't allow anyone, pastor, therapist or not, to look at you and tell you that's not worth grieving over because it's your grief, not theirs. And we have to understand both big and small, as long as it hurts, it's worth our grief. Line number four is that grieving is a personal journey. And you'll hear me say the last two points, right? That grief is personal to you because it is, right? You, you just said, Preston, that uh, no one should tell me what I can grieve and no one should tell me how long I should grieve. But now you're telling me grieving is not personal? That's not what I'm saying. Grieving is personal to you in the sense that it's your grief, but the journey is not personal. And if I could tell you that I think America gets one thing wrong the worst, it's this idea that we think because we're individuals in a free country like America, and I've said up here many times, we live in the greatest country in the world, but because we have so much freedom, we feel like, hey, this is my grief and I'll deal with my problems and you have your grief and you deal with your problems. I'll figure mine out, you figure yours out. And we don't understand that in a real scenario, anywhere else in the world except here, every other country doesn't see life that way. Every other country would look at you and say, you're not your own person. You belong to something bigger than yourself. You're a husband, you belong to a wife. You're a mother, you belong to a child. You're a coworker, you belong to an employer. You are part of this community of faith here at Forest Park. You belong to something more than just your own being. In indigenous communities, if one person in their tribe, tribe goes through grief, they will all come out of their tents and gather in a circle and they will all in one unison outwardly mourn together. Why? Because they understand something that we have a hard time understanding. If one of us hurts, we all hurt. 
If one of us is grieving, we all grieve. That's why the Bible says in Romans 12, 15, mourn with those who mourn, weep with those who weep. We are to be a communal people that grieves together and has to lean on others to help us in parts of our grief that we can't fully understand yet. I think there are three reasons why we struggle with this though. And I'm gonna give you my perspective because cards on the table, if I do anything terribly, and I do a lot terribly, but something I do terribly the worst is this principle I'm talking about right here. I do not like sharing my griefs and my burdens with other people. It makes me uncomfortable, which is part of why this is uncomfortable for me. But I wanna give you three quick reasons why I think all of us struggle to share our griefs with other people. Number one is if you know anything about the Enneagram, there's nine types, not that that really matters for today's message, but I'm a type five on the Enneagram, which basically just means I'm an introvert by nature and I like to nerd out on research. Uh, It's pretty normal of an introvert, but every type has a core fear, something they're very fearful of. And the five's core fear is that my needs would be seen as a burden to other people that in my sharing what I need from you, in my sharing of what's hurting me, that somehow that would now become a burden for you to carry. And and that's one of my fears and why I don't share my griefs with you a lot is because I don't want to burden you. And that's something that is kind of a bad mindset to carry around with you throughout life. But I think in some ways we all feel that. I don't want to burden them with what I'm struggling with. But another reason is, and this is gonna come off really blunt, I, I've tried to figure out a way to sugarcoat this for you today, but I can't, um, is that by nature, I'm just a skeptic. By nature, I'm just a cynic. By nature, I sometimes believe the worst in people instead of the best. And if I could just be very honest with you, and it's not about you here today, it's about human beings as a whole. I don't share my burdens because at the end of the day, I kind of have this belief that you don't really care anyway. That all of us are selfish. And then at the end of the day that I kind of believe, hey, why would I make myself vulnerable and uh, open to you just for you not to care anyway? So why would I put that burden on you and why would I trust you when honestly you probably don't care what I'm going through when it comes down to it at the end of the day? But a third reason I believe that we struggle to share our griefs with one another is because we're fearful of what they may think of us. The, I wouldn't say, yeah, I, I'll say the worst part about being a pastor is that somehow people, don't realize that they begin to actually idolize the people who are on stage to a point where you put them on pedestals that maybe they should be the standard of what it means to be a Christian. And and that's hard for me because I have to walk around as somehow a moral example. Oftentimes when honestly, I just wanna be honest and real instead of having to try to be an example 24 seven. I know that's the life of the pastor in some ways, but reality is it's a tough life. And and the reality is that (laughs) You know, there are people who look at the people who speak and give the message specifically and think that we have a personal hotline to Jesus in heaven. And anytime we struggle, I call Jesus and Jesus talks to me and he tells me exactly what I need to hear. And I can get comfort that you guys can't get because somehow I'm an ordained pastor. And that's just not true. I struggle with the same things you all struggle with. And I struggle to believe the way you struggle to believe. I want to put this practically so we can understand what I'm saying today before I move on. Like, Do you know the reason I'm up here preaching today isn't because I'm some moral standard? Let's let's be honest, the only reason I'm up here today is because Scott's out of town, we ain't got nobody else. (laughs) This, This is it, I mean, we got me, Scott, and nobody else. So if Scott ain't here, you're stuck with me. 
And if I'm not here, you're stuck with Scott. So, I mean, at the end of the day, like, let's not romanticize me being up here and preaching today. Like, I'm not a special man. In fact, if we were to base who could give the message based on morality, I'm not cracking the top 10 in this room. You, you don't know what I struggle with. You don't know the thoughts that go through my head. You don't know how I struggle to believe even when I'm called to tell you to believe. And, and the reality is it's a tough, tough situation, but you probably struggle with that too. As a mom, as a dad, as a wife, as a husband, you feel anxious to share your real griefs with others because you're scared of what they may think of you. And, and that's a real fear and I understand, but here's what I wanna tell you before we move on. If you sharing your grief with someone causes them to retreat from your life or judge you because of it, I wanna give you some rest. They were never meant to be a part of your life. If they judge you or pull themselves away from you because you share your griefs with them, they're not meant to be in your life. And you need to be okay with that. Life is so incredibly hard, but it's so much harder when you choose to do it by yourself. Like, I wanna give you my last example and then we'll get to the last lie today. Like one of the reasons I struggle with being up here and being a pastor and, and having this standard put on my life 24 seven. And, and I'll give you an example. This is an example of something I'm struggling with right now. Like it's not like, oh, I used to struggle and now I don't, but like today, right now, this is what I struggle with. Those of you who are close to me and my wife know this, it's not news to you, but for 99% of you in the room, this will be news to you that for three years, me and my wife have been trying to conceive our first child and it hasn't worked. It's not from a lack of trying and it's not from a lack of pursuing resources, but you know how hard it is and some of you do know how hard it is to try for a child to be met with bad test result after bad test result after bad test result. And it's a tough pill to swallow for two reasons for me. Number one, it's hard for me to accept the fact that I can't have a child right now when there's plenty of people who abuse and take advantage of children in everyday worlds and I feel like they don't deserve to have children. And yet I'm sitting here wanting one so I can love it and and nurture it and God doesn't give it to me. And another reason why it's tough for me spiritually as a pastor, just put this in perspective, is if you could peek behind my, my life and see the prayers that I've had with God over the last two and a half years, and I honestly would not call a lot of them actual prayers, but more arguments, you would see that I'm hurting, I, I'm upset, that I look at God and I say, your word says that he who has a wife has a good thing and children are a blessing to the parents. So if a child is a blessing, then how come you won't give me the blessing? And so I, I, I want you to hear my heart, just from an individual, I'm, take the pastor title off of me for a second. From, from a human being to a human being, it's hard to believe that God is good right now because he doesn't wanna give me what I think is right and good for me. And I'm not saying he never will, he may. I don't know, I don't, I don't have a crystal ball, I don't have that power either. But it's hard to accept. And what's so hard, not only about that, it's hard to accept, it's hard to accept that God tells me to get on the stage and look at you and tell you how good he is. In spite of me having real difficulties believing that in my life right now. You can grieve and you can grieve at your own pace, but please know this, your griefs need to be shared with those close to you because it's in community that you will find bigger healing than you will isolating yourself and trying to grieve alone. Grieving is pointless is the last lie. 
we say, Preston, this is all well and good, and I agree with what you're saying, but I have to ask you, me grieving ain't gonna bring my dad back. Me grieving ain't gonna change my marriage situation right now. Why do I need to stop and grieve? I need to do something about it, and that's a very American mindset to have. But there are many benefits of grieving if you just wanna take spirituality out of it for a second. Mary O'Connor, who's a professor of psychology and a therapist, says the biggest benefit in her mind of grieving is because grief is a great teacher, that grief actually pushes us to learn how to adapt to a new way of life without a husband, without a wife, without a child in the house, without a a marriage, without uh, these longings that we have, that grief actually forces us to come face to face and say, how can I live this life now in spite of this tragedy that just occurred? So grief is a great teacher. From a practical standpoint, grief is important because it teaches us how to adapt. But secondly, and more importantly, grief is a great teacher spiritually for us as Christians because what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount is so vital. And I hope that if you can hear anything today, you hear this. It's a very simple concept. He says, blessed are you who mourn for you will be comforted. And I need you to hear from me the seriousness of this verse. You can never be comforted if you're not willing to grieve. It's in our grief, it's in our hurting that God surrounds us with his comfort. You can't accept comfort if you try to pretend like grief isn't there and life is rainbows and butterflies 24 seven. It's in our grief that God comes to us and he says, you are blessed because I will comfort you in your grief. I wanna end today by playing a clip from a TV show called The Chosen. The great Christian show, maybe some of you have watched it, just as a quick aside, if you like this show and you've seen clips like we're showing now, we're actually kicking off our chosen small group tomorrow night, first meeting 6.30 at the church. If you wanna be a part, I'm not trying to do a plug, but I am trying to say, if you find this as a blessing to you, the group will be a blessing to you. Um, But we're gonna watch this and I wanna set up the scene really quick. Um, Little James is coming to Jesus and little James is one of the disciples. And Jesus had just gone to them and said, I'm gonna send you out two by two in every direction. And I'm gonna pair you up and send you out in every direction. And I want you to know that when you leave, I'm gonna give you the power to heal the sick. I'm gonna give you the power to heal the lame and I'm gonna give you the power to cast out demons in my name. And they get paired up two by two to go out in a variety of directions to proclaim God's news and to heal the hurting. But little James is having a problem with it because little James in this show has a physical ailment to his leg. He walks around with a cane because he has a hurt. And he has some concerns and questions for Jesus in spite of this. He comes to Jesus and you'll see, he says, how can I have the power to heal the lame when you haven't healed my leg yet? And I'm here to believe. And not only that, but it brings out little James's insecurities with where he feels like he's not worthy enough to be a part of God's family. And I hope that as you watch this clip, you'll see his grief in this scenario. And more than that, I hope you see how Jesus answers him because it's how he's answering us today. So let's watch this. Great clip for a lot of reasons, but one of the things I love most about that clip is how he ends his exchange with little James when he looks back at him and he says, little James, I need you to know, you will be healed. It's really just a matter of time. And that's what I wanna leave you today with. Grief does end, not in this life, but it does end. It's just a matter of time. The Bible makes it clear, there will be a day for you where there will be no more tears, There'll be no more death, there'll be no more mourning, there will be no more pain, 
because all those things will pass away and you will be left with nothing but the love and the comfort of God. I need you to know today, no matter what you're grieving or how you're grieving, this is temporary. You can hold on to hope. Not to make your grief seem less insignificant today, but you can know that you will be healed. It's just a matter of time. Y'all are blessed people. You're blessed people when you mourn because it's in your grief that God sees you, he hears you, and he comforts you. And you can rest in that comfort. Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for your comfort. Thank you for your peace. You're our prince of peace. You give us peace that surpasses all understanding. God, there's so much grief in this world. There's so much grief in this room. God, help us know that it's okay that we grieve. And it's okay that we grieve at different rates. It's okay that we grieve different things. But God, help us understand today as people that we need one another in our grief. And that it's in our grief that we can be comforted and we can be healed. God, help us push through and help us search for you even when it feels like there's no light in front of us. God, we love you and we love that you're a God who sees our grief, hears our grief, and gives us grace in spite of our lack of faith. You're way too good to us and you're a God who loves and heals his people. We know, God, there's a day coming where we will never have to cry another tear because you will be with us fully again. And we look forward to that day. Pray in your name, amen. Guys, I love you. I hope you have an incredible Sunday and I hope to see you back next week.